we are in a collection, and we're wrapping up real soon, called The Story of God. And we're going through the story of God, and we're breaking it up into five different acts, according to one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright. Act 1, which was creation. Act 2, the fall. Act 3, last week, Israel. And today we're going to cover Act 4. And next week we'll finish the series off with Act 5. Um, I've been watching a lot of old TV shows because there's nothing new on these days. And I started re-watching this show called Heroes. And at the, at the beginning of every episode, there's always a previously on. And you know what the episode that you're going to watch is going to be about based on what they include in the recap. And so today I want to give you a little previously on the things that we've covered that are going to be relevant in Act 4 of the story of God. If you remember Act 1, God creates the world and everything in it. He creates humanity. And God has a dream from the start. And his dream really is captured in this one word, shalom, which is universal flourishing between God, man, and all of creation. And so that was Act 1. Act 2 was the fall. Sin enters into the world because it first enters into the human heart. And the temptation that they faced and they they bought into, the same temptation that we face today is to be the gods of our own lives, to decide for ourselves what is best, what is right, and what is true. And so we, we dealt with this fact that there's a problem out there in the world because first and foremost, there's a problem in here. And you remember um, my favorite definition of sin, we, we called it sin is the propensity to F things up, right? It's just this propensity that we find ourselves, we mess up our relationships, we mess up creation, we mess up everything around us. And we see things in the story getting worse and worse and worse. And last week we talked about Act 3, Israel. That God had a plan, and he sets this plan into motion by choosing a nation that will be the vehicle through which his redemption flows into the earth. And so he makes a covenant with Abraham, he makes a covenant with Moses, he makes a covenant with David. And throughout the entire journey of Israel, God chooses Israel to help bring renewal to the world. But we see Israel fail again and again. We see Israel breaking their covenant with God and failing to live up to their mission. And so right now in the story, after the previously on, we find ourselves at a really low point in God's story. God's chosen people are broken and scattered all throughout the nations. They've broken their covenant with God. They failed their mission here on earth to bring redemption and shalom. One of my favorite, um, I would say, experts on the topic of story, Donald Miller, he says, where there is an absence of story, or perhaps a bad story, A good storyteller walks in and changes reality. He doesn't critique the existing story or lament about his boredom like a critic. He just tells something different and invites other people into the new story he is telling. And this is where we find ourselves in the story. That the story had been going pretty bad up to this point for all the characters involved. But God, being the good storyteller he is, decides he's going to step in and he's going to write a better story. One of my favorite worship leaders, Corey Asbury, in one of his songs, he says, The story isn't over if the story isn't good. 
And so we're just getting now to the good part of the story where everything has failed, where everything has been going downhill. Now we find ourselves, God, writing a new story and inviting his people and all of us into it. So today we're going to cover Act 4, Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? We invite you here right now. We ask that you would make this part of the story so real and so alive. I think we're fully aware of our human propensity to F things up. I think we're aware of the darkness that's in the world. I think we're aware of all of the effects of sin on our bodies, of our relate, on our relationships, and everything around us. But we know there's an answer. And we know there was a plan from the very beginning for you to come and tell a better story. So would you invite us into that this morning? We love you, God. We give you praise in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we're just going to be looking at the first chapter of Mark. Like, literally, this teaching could be anything, right? Jesus' life and his work is so expansive. We could do a whole collection and series about it. In fact, we are going to leading up to Easter. But for the purposes of this teaching, we're just going to look at the first chapter of Mark. Now, the thing you have to understand about Mark, the reason why the gospel of Mark is so different from the other gospel writers, I liken the gospel of Mark to being like a fast-paced action movie. It's like there's not a lot of fluff. It's just continually going. Just think fast and the furious. There's not a moment where you can just chill and rest and take in what's going on. Like it's one scene to the next and he kind of has ADHD. He's going from one thing to the next and cutscene to cutscene, action to action. And so this is where we get started with the story. There's not even a cute story about a baby in a manger in Mark. Like literally Mark just starts with Jesus, okay? And so this is what we're jumping right into the story. And so verse one, I'm going to read it for us and we're going to go through verse eight right now. Mark writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with the leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We have to pay attention to how Mark starts the story, right? Every other gospel, there's this cute manger scene where there's barn animals and Jesus is born in this beautiful barn. And it's this really amazing, whimsical story, but Mark just jumps right into it. And this is how he starts his story. He says, the beginning. In the beginning. Now you should automatically, when you see that, you should be making a connection to the very start of our whole expansive story. You should be thinking of the Genesis narrative. How did Genesis begin? In the beginning. What Mark wants you to see is that this is a new beginning. This is the beginning of something new. Everything up to this point has been one part of the story, but now a new story within that story is beginning. A new chapter is being written. And what Mark wants you to do is make a connection to the Genesis narrative. Remember, what was the backdrop for the original creation story? There was darkness and what? Chaos. Where do we find Israel right now? 
scattered in darkness and in chaos. We see there are parallels from the beginning to the beginning of this new story. As God created the world back in Genesis, God is getting ready to create something new. A new creation is getting ready to be birthed. A new order is breaking in. And so we start the beginning of the good news. Now, what what is this good news? Because for centuries and centuries, the people had only really known bad news, right? It was exile, a loss of identity and purpose, a 400-year period of silence from God. Listen, I get restless when I don't hear from God for a week. But imagine 400 years, your dad never heard from God. Your dad's dad never heard from God. Generations passed, silence from God, the God that had been leading them, broken and hopeless. And maybe some of you can relate. Maybe it's not 400 years, but maybe in this season, you can't remember the last time that you heard good news. Or you're struggling to believe that there's something good on the horizon because all you've been seeing is sadness or sorrow or pain. Maybe you can empathize with what Israel is going through. And so Israel here, they've been waiting. They really desperately need some good news. So this good news better be good. So what is this good news that Mark is starting off his story with? It's this, that God is getting ready to step into humanity's story, to bring the redemption that they had been longing for since the beginning. And he's going to do it through who? Jesus. And so check this out. Jesus, he's not just starting a brand new story. You know, My wife is a very forgiving, loving person. But there is one unforgivable sin that I have committed in our relationship that, honestly, she needs inner healing from to let go. And, you know, it's, it's actually, she's a captive in her own heart for not forgiving me. But, you know, we, we really love this game on the Nintendo Switch called Zelda Breath of the Wild. I know a lot of y'all are playing it. And it's a really long game. There's a lot that you can do. And I beat the game faster than her. Uh, she thinks I rushed through it. I didn't. I, I got all the little items and the swords and stuff. I did it all. But I just, I just beat the game faster. And I remember uh, I beat the game in 2017. But last year, I had just been itching to want to play it again. And so I started it up and I opened my account But there was just so much that I had already done. I lost track of the things that I didn't do and the things I had to go back to. So I thought it would just be easier. Let me just start over again. Let me restart the entire game. And so I tried to make a new account. Uh, What I had done is I accidentally deleted her account and overrode it with my new account, erasing um, probably over 100 hours of work that she had put in. Um, But I had started a brand new game. I restarted something brand new. But we see here Jesus, Jesus isn't starting a new account. He's not starting a new game. But Jesus instead, he's entering into the current story. Jesus is entering into Israel's story. And we know this because right after in this first verse, Mark references the prophet Isaiah. 
And right here in the beginning, he's longing to reconnect the readers to the story of their forefathers. He wants them to remember the prophets. He wants them to remember the hope that their people had been carrying for redemption throughout the ages. He wants to reconnect people to their story. And so when the Jews are reading this, they recognize the story. This wasn't a new story to them. It was a new chapter in the story that they had already been living in, in the story their ancestors had been living in. And they began remembering the story of their people. They began remembering the story of Abraham, of Moses, of David, and of the exile. They began remembering the words of the prophets telling of a day when the Messiah would come to redeem their nation and thus the world. And so Jesus isn't starting a new story. This isn't a new book. He's entering into Israel's story. What does it say about a God who's willing to enter into our stories? Instead of rebooting humanity, making Earth 2. By the way, there's, there's this new uh, digital platform called Earth 2. They're literally recreating the entire world on, on digitally on screen. You can actually buy a plot of land for thousands of dollars. Anyway, God is not making Earth 2. He's not starting with a new humanity. He's stepping into the current story. And so what does it say about a God who's willing to enter into our stories? Our stories of failure. Our stories of pain, our stories of brokenness. Listen, I don't know what your story is today, but I do know we serve a God who's willing to get himself into whatever you're going through. He's he's not too far gone. Your story is not far outside the reach of God. And remember in the garden when Adam and Eve had first sinned and they were hiding from God, running away from him, naked in shame. Who's the one doing the seeking in that story? It was God. What we see in Israel's story is a God seeking his people again and again. And it's the same God who's still seeking us today. It doesn't matter how messy your story is. God wants to get all up in it. Yesterday I I hung out with my new best friend, which is my best friend's daughter, Noe. She's only um, about one and a half. And I was just so fascinated watching her eat. um, Because when she eats... She gets all up in her food, like the food is going through every crevice of her hand, every fingernail. She just gets all up in it. And she really takes after her dad because I don't know about you, but when I go to eat barbecue, for example, I'm a two-finger barbecue kind of guy. And so when I eat barbecue, I'll use minimum surface area on my hand because I just like to be clean. And so I'll just use my two fingers and eat the barbecue. But my buddy Chris, he's a 10-finger barbecue kind of guy. Like when I go to eat barbecue with him, it's barbaric. I'm literally disgusted. I, I lose my appetite because he's literally grabbing barbecue with all five fingers, his palm, and then he's using his other hand to rip the meat off of the the bone and then put it in his mouth and his whole hand is covered in barbecue sauce. And you know, God, if he were a barbecuer, he's the type of dude that's going to use 10 fingers. He gets all up into the mess of our story. He's not afraid. He doesn't, he doesn't fingertip his way into our story and our narrative. He gets all up in it. And this is the God who's getting ready to enter into Israel's story with all of its imperfections, with all of its pain and trail of brokenness and breaking of covenant. This is a story that God is ready and willing to enter into. And so we see this guy named John the Baptist appear out of the wilderness. And John was this really weird guy. 
I mean, even for that day's standards, he wore clothing made of camel's hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, he was the Lady Gaga of fashion back then. He was doing something really weird and new, but, but he, his primary purpose was preparing the way for Jesus, announcing the coming Messiah. He's letting people know that God's plan is in full effect, and he's about to do something new. He's getting people ready to reenter the story. And so look at verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. He's getting ready to connect with John and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Remember what I told you about Mark. Mark wastes no time introducing Jesus. And honestly, this is how he introduces Jesus. He just says, Jesus from Nazareth. Now, this is a super underwhelming introduction to the most important character in the story. At least the other books, right? There was some setup. There was some backstory. This literally, all he says, Jesus from Nazareth, as, it's, as if it's supposed to mean something. First of all, Jesus was a super common name during that time. Second of all, Nazareth was literally a nowhere town. It's like the Brisbane of the Bay Area. I'm sorry, Brisbane. I love you. But no one outside of California, no one outside of San Francisco knows who you are. It's like introducing Bob from Brisbane or Doug from Daly City. No one knows that city. No one knows that name. It's so common. There's nothing special about the introduction of Jesus, but nonetheless, he enters into the story. And it says he meets up with John, and John is getting ready to baptize him in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River had historical significance for the Israelites, If you remember, if you've done your Bible study and if you've gone far enough in your Bible reading plan, you know that the Jordan River was where Israel crossed over into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And this is where Jesus chooses to get baptized. This is where the inauguration to Jesus' ministry takes place. Why? What's he doing here? Why the Jordan River? Jesus is identifying himself with the nation of Israel. He's getting ready to take on their mission to redeem the nation. Remember, Israel's calling from Abraham to Moses. Israel's calling was to be a blessing to the nations, to be agents of God's shalom on earth, to be the vehicle of God's redemption and renewal of the world. But here we see Jesus making a bold statement at the kickoff, at the kickoff party to his ministry. This was his launch party, and he chose the Jordan River. Why? He's saying, Israel, I'm taking on your mission. I'm taking on what you were called to do where you failed. I'm about to bring redemption and renewal to the world. I will release shalom. But not only is Jesus taking on Israel's mission, he's saying, I'm going to complete it. Where you failed, I will succeed. Where you failed to be God's agents of shalom to a dying world, I will carry your mission and I will fulfill it on your behalf. Remember back in the first teaching, Act 1. There was that really strange scene where Abraham cuts the animal in half and he sees God come down as a smoking fire pot and go through the pieces of the animal. But Abraham never enters through. Remember in that moment what God was saying is that Abraham, even when you're unable to uphold your end of the covenant, even when you can't live up to the promise that you make me, I will take responsibility and I will do it. And we see the same God that did that in Genesis 15, now fulfilling his promise, Israel, 
You failed to live up to your covenant. You failed to live up to your mission. You didn't release shalom on earth. You didn't redeem and renew the world like you were supposed to. But I will take the responsibility now. I'm taking on your mission and I will complete it. God hasn't forgotten his covenant. God hasn't forgotten his dream. I'm here to fulfill what you could not do on your own. I don't know if you can resonate with that. Where you've ever been in a place where you've given all you can and you've done all that you could on your own and it's just not enough. You still don't see the breakthrough. It's, you're not pushing it into completion and you're at the end of your rope and at the end of your strength, in your relationships, in your work, in life. But this is the good news. Where you end is where God begins. And the good news of the gospel is this, that we have an author and a finisher of our faith. Even when we can't see things into completion, that we have a God who steps into our story and takes the burden of completion on his back. Even when we fail, God is faithful. Even when we fall short, God will see us through to the end. Why the Jordan River? We see the God who helped Israel cross over from the wilderness into the promised land is the same God who will help us cross over into our breakthrough, into our victory, into our completion, in every area of our lives, in the things that we've been contending for and praying for, but seeing no answer to, God is coming and seeing it through into completion. In our own faith and spiritual maturity, when we feel like we've hit a wall and we can't hear the voice of God, we feel like we're not growing, God's saying, I'm coming into your story and seeing you into completion. In our relationships that are broken, when we've poured out everything that we could and try to fix it on our own, God is saying, you've done all you could, but I'm stepping into your story and I'm seeing it into completion. Last night, I was supposed to be writing my sermon but I don't know if you're on Clubhouse. It's this new app. But basically, people just get in this big room and they just begin talking. And there's some really weird rooms. Like Kevin, just he's in the weirdest rooms. I don't know why. I, I, he just needs Jesus. But there's this room that my wife was in last night called like a Super Saiyan screaming room. If you know Dragon Ball Z, it's like a Super Saiyan when they power up. They, they usually do this epic scream like, ah, 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 and they're like glowing. And the only purpose of this room is people are literally just powering up and screaming into the audio. And one by one, people are just giving their screams. But you know what? When I was, when I was hearing the audio that she sent me, for some reason I was thinking, this is kind of beautiful. It's like someone who's screaming and giving their all, but when they run out of breath and they run out of the ability to scream, someone else comes in and screams on their behalf. And it's just this interconnected screaming that never stops. It's so weird, but it's so powerful. And it's kind of this image where we're giving all that we can. We're saying, God, come and move. And we run, when we run out of the energy and the strength and the breath to continue, God comes in on our behalf and sees it through to completion. We have to remember that God's plan from the start was not to do this on his own. His plan from the start was to partner with humanity for the renewal of the world. In the garden with Adam and Eve, he wanted to partner with humanity to cultivate shalom throughout all of creation. 
And when that failed with Abraham, he wanted to partner with Abraham and his families and his, and his lines after to bless the nations through his line. With Israel to redeem all of the world through them. And now with Jesus, the God-man, God's MO from the start has been to partner with humanity. You know, I think there's this misguided theology that God does all the work and we just sit back. But that's not true. I don't believe that God will ever bypass human responsibility. You know, Vanessa, this will probably trigger you, but it's kind of like if someone came to you and they were saying, I've been praying, Vanessa, I've been praying. I've been, I've been praying every single day. God, give me a six pack. God, help me get that beach bod where, you know, now I could get on Insta and be proud of how I look. God, give me that six pack abs. But every single day they're eating Chick-fil-A and they're sitting on the couch, not exercising, just watching Netflix. Yet they're praying and asking God. I bet that would irk you. It would irk me. But we find ourselves sometimes saying, God, you do it all. God, you do the work. But God never bypasses human responsibility. And some of you need to hear this. God will not do for you what he has called you to do for yourself. In other words, yeah, there's some things that we can't do or see through to completion, but we have to do our part. Yeah, there's nothing that our God can't do, but there are some things that he won't do. Because he calls us to partner with him. You know, we long to hear God's voice, but we never step out and make space for prayer. We long to experience miracles, but we never step out in faith and actually risk and and create a space where faith and miracles are necessary. You are not excused from the responsibility of cultivating the world with God. You are not excused from engaging in social justice and helping the poor and loving your neighbor and sharing the gospel through your life. God's dream from the start is that we would do this together. And so we see Jesus was the, com- the fulfillment of God wanting to partner with humanity. Why did Jesus need to be human? I mean, couldn't he just come down as super God? He was fully man and fully God. Because God wanted to continue his plan to partner with humanity to bring about the redemption of the world. My favorite theologian, N.T. Wright, he says this, Jesus believed that the creator God had purposed from the beginning to address and deal with the problems within his creation through Israel. Israel was not to be an example of a nation under God. Israel was to be the means through which the world would be saved and that this would be accomplished through Israel's history, reaching a moment of climax in which Israel herself would be saved from her enemies and through which the creator God, the covenant God, would at last bring his love and justice and his mercy and truth to bear upon the whole world, bringing renewal and healing to all of creation. Listen, this is why if we want to fully grasp Jesus' work, we have to understand Israel's story. What God wanted Israel to do, what God wanted Israel to be, would now be fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus has come to complete Israel's story and Israel's work. And in our lives today, God isn't looking to be a genie granting wishes but he's looking for a people who will partner with him to fulfill his purposes. Now, I'm going to finish here with verse 10 through 11, and this is, as far as we're going to go, as far as Mark, this is what Mark writes. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open 
and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus is being baptized, and he's coming out of the water. And I never caught this before, but notice it doesn't say that heaven was opening, but it says heaven was torn open. Come on, how many of you know what's torn can never be the same again? In middle school, I tore my pants during PE, and my pants were never the same again, and I was never the same again, right? What's torn, when you tear a piece of paper, you can't just put it back together. It's not going to be the same, and something new is happening here in this story, and Mark is saying things will never be the same. Heaven is being torn open, and it can never be closed again. There is something changing in the atmosphere. The, he- the veil between heaven and earth is being torn. The kingdom of God is breaking in, and there is no going back. You know, yesterday, Krista and I did a gender reveal party with some of our best friends. Funny story. One month after we figured out we, were, we conceived and we were pregnant, um, we decided to tell one of my best friends, Christopher, and his wife, Christine, and we told them and shared the good news with them. And that night, they conceived. They were so excited for us, and they wanted our little baby Cho to have a little baby friend. And so they conceived that night, so we're, we're one, one, one month apart. And we decided for a gender reveal party, we would do it together. And so we got together, and our plan was, um, we're going to get their results, and we're going to paint their baby's gender on my face and vice versa. It was really confusing, but we did this whole gender reveal party. By the way, we're, we found out that we're going to have a baby boy, Cho, little Mick Cho, McRib Cho, I don't know, little baby boy Cho, and they're going to have a girl. But during this entire pregnancy, pregnancy is a trip because the more and more you look into it, you realize that once you figured out that you've conceived and you're pregnant, things can never be the same again. I mean, I'm learning right now. I'm preparing my heart because all newborn fathers tell me that once the baby is born, you will never get your original sleeping time back. And I'm just preparing myself for that loss. I just understand things are never going to be the same. You know, even the human body giving birth to a child, your body is never the same after that. You know, in pregnancy, it's a messy thing. I don't know if you've ever seen the videos, but there's tearing. There's a lot of fluids. There's a lot that happens. And the body is never the same. In the same way, your heart is never the same. And what God is saying here in this moment, heaven being torn open, the beginning of new creation here in Mark, things are never going to be the same. They can never go back to the way that they work. And this is the crux of Jesus' work here on earth, not just personal salvation, Not just, this is my free go to heaven pass. God is saying the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. That means wherever you are, heaven, torn open, is pouring out the kingdom of God. N.T. Wright, he goes on to say, in first century Christianity, what mattered was not people going from earth into God's kingdom in heaven. What mattered and what Jesus taught his followers to pray was that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus didn't come to take you away to a new kingdom. He's come to usher in his kingdom right here, right now, right where you are. The kingdom of God was at the heart of Jesus's mission. You know, everyone was waiting for a Messiah to come to overthrow the Roman Empire and to establish a new earthly kingdom where they could reign. 
But how many of you know Jesus wasn't coming to establish their kingdom? Can I tell you something? Jesus is not coming to establish 99. He's not coming to establish Hillsong. He's not coming to establish our earthly kingdoms. He came to establish a kingdom that is beyond the earthly kingdoms, a kingdom of God. Jesus is so much more than we make him out to be. You know, it's funny that that we were made in the image of God, but oftentimes we imagine God in our image. See, Christianity wasn't just about good principles. It's about a good prince who's come in to usher a new kingdom. Dallas Willard, he defines the kingdom of God as this. It is God reigning. It's present wherever what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. In other other words, wherever this kingdom breaks in, God's desire, his dream is realized. God's dream from the very beginning for shalom is realized. Wherever God's kingdom breaks in, the works of the enemy are destroyed. Lies are broken and lives are healed. Demons flee and hearts are set free. This is why every time Jesus preached what accompanied his teaching, signs and wonders and demonstrations of the kingdom, that the deaf were able to hear, the blind were able to see, the lame were able to walk. Why not? Not just for their sake, but to show that there is a kingdom coming through a torn open heavens, invading our reality and our world. I don't know about you, and I'm wrapping up here, but I need an inbreaking of God's kingdom in my life. I need some works of the enemy in my life and around me destroyed. I know too many people who are sick. I know too many people with wounded hearts. I know too many people in dire and hopeless situations. I know too many people with broken relationships. We need an inbreaking of the kingdom. And it's not just good enough to come here to church to listen to a nice teaching about Jesus that teaches us how to be nicer people or more patient people. We need an inbreaking of God's kingdom. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but I need God's kingdom to break in. Right now, maybe some of you are experiencing the opposite of what God's kingdom represents. Maybe right now, some of you are experiencing the opposite of shalom. Maybe some of you are experiencing the effects of sin. Maybe some of you are experiencing the brokenness that comes with our human propensity to F things up. Maybe you're coming up against disease. Maybe you're coming up against hopeless situations. I want you to know that Jesus came for you. And he came to usher in his kingdom, his reign, his rule, his shalom over every area of our lives that are out of order. I don't have um, a really practical response to this message. Well, I kind of do. And it's the message that Jesus preaches at the end of this section of Mark. Where after he's baptized, after he goes into the wilderness and comes out, the first message he preaches is this, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And that's my simple invitation to you today. I'm not talking about repent and feeling sorry for all the bad. I'm I'm talking about repentance 
as in turning to Jesus and saying, God, I've done all that I could on my own. This Israel story, I've lived it. I've been living it. Where I've been trying again and again and it's not enough. Where I may have failed or fallen short. Where I'm praying and believing for you to break through, but I'm not seeing it. Where I've been waiting and waiting for your promise to be fulfilled, but I'm not seeing it. What repent means is I'm now turning to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, and I'm trusting and resting in the promise that he will see to completion everything that is out of alignment with shalom, everything that is outside the realm of his kingdom. I believe right now for many of us, God is inviting us to turn to him and to invite his inbreaking kingdom if that's you, I want to invite you right now just to posture yourselves to receive. Right now, why don't we close our eyes? You know, there's so much um, we could have covered with this part of the story, talking about Jesus, but I just feel like for so many of us, what we really need in our lives is an inbreaking of God's kingdom. Breakthrough where we've hit walls. Light where there's darkness. Hope where there's hopelessness. Right now, I want to invite you into that. If that's you, begin praying over your situation, over your circumstance. Just one simple prayer. God, may your kingdom come. God, may your kingdom come over my finances. God, may your kingdom come over my relationships. God, may your kingdom come over that loved one who's sick. God, may your kingdom come over my situation. God, may your kingdom come over my my weary, aching heart. God, would you come? Would your kingdom come and break through? We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know if we're going to see the immediate fruit or the breakthrough, but we know and we can trust that there is a day coming when your kingdom will be fully realized in the entire earth, in all of our lives, where there will be no more sickness, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more heartache. And we know that day is coming, but until then, we are going to believe that you are still breaking through every area of our lives and that we can see the glimpse of our eternal destination right here, right now. Just begin praying that prayer. May your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come.